today we are continuing our series Divine Direction that comes from Craig Rochelle's book Divine Direction, Seven Decisions That Will Change Your Life. Who's reading the book? Sister Patricia, you at least have the book? Started reading it? Huh? I know you're not Patricia, she is, but you, Shanna, you have it? You're reading it? Okay, great, awesome. So this is lesson six. Uh, we've got about two more series, or two more lessons to go in this series. Um, we are now done with what I've jokingly referred to as the schizophrenic part of the book. So far, uh, we've heard about how we need to pay attention to small choices. Uh, it's the small choices that nobody sees that lead to the big impact that everyone wants. And then we got to the part where we didn't know what to do. We start, stop, stay, go. So in start, we heard about how if we need to start one discipline that moves you toward the story that God wants to tell with your life. And then we got to the chapter on stop, which is where we need to stop one thing that is frustrating us from telling the story that we really want to tell. Then it was stay. Sometimes the best decision you can make and the most courageous decision you can make is to stay where you are, even whenever it seems like it would be easier to walk away. And then we got to the chapter on go. Sometimes the best decision you can make is to go, even when it would be easier to stay where you are. So in the interest of time today, I'm not going to go through the usual thing where I go back through the high points of the last lesson. Uh, if you missed that last one, or if you can't remember it, the podcast is up. Go check it out. Thank you for doing that, Nathan. Instead, we're going to jump right into chapter six, which is called Connect. Connect. And today is all about the power of friendship and the role that connections with people play in helping to you to tell the story that you really want to tell with your life. And so just so y'all know where we're headed today, I'm going to tell you about some of my dad's favorite sayings. Call them billyisms. Modified to make everything next appropriate. And I'll talk about one or two in particular that relate to friendship. And then I want to talk to you about a couple of biblical characters today uh, and the role that connections to people played in their stories. And first, we'll look at the Apostle Paul from the New Testament and the role that Barnabas played in his story. And then we'll look at King David from the Old Testament uh, and the key roles played by three different people, three different types of friends in his overall story. So get your pens and notebooks ready. Get your thumbs limbered up, ready to take some notes. Jesus likes it when you take notes. He really does. And you don't know, you just might write something down today that will change your life. Might just be one thing that you write down and it will change the course of your life. So take some notes. So, my dad, um, his name was Billy Dean, and I actually called him that sometimes whenever I got older, Billy Dean. He used to love sharing from his fathomless oceans of fatherly wisdom. And it was usually in the form of this pithy, cliche saying, and usually at what I considered to be the worst possible times. When I was really struggling and frustrated with something, and whenever I was feeling insecure, Billy would say, ah, oh, you can handle it. No other explanation or encouragement given. Just, you can handle it. Thanks, Dad. That, that really helps a lot. Or when I was really frustrated and just done with something, schoolwork, particularly math, he would say, you can do anything you set your mind to. And I would say, but I can't. And then he would come out with another great Billyism. 
I can't never did anything. I don't, what does that even mean? I mean, it doesn't even make sense. I don't, I don't even think that's grammatically correct. I can't never did anything. Okay, Dad. To be honest, most of Billyisms, most of his Billyisms were typically followed by an eye roll from me. Some of you in here can probably relate, especially if you're raising teenagers. Because, you know, sometimes you're just not ready to receive wisdom. Mm. But the Billyisms that I, that I hated the most were the ones that related to friends and relationships, mostly because throughout most of my grade school and high school years, I ran with some guys that tended to get me into some trouble. And Billy would say stuff like, Look at your friends, son. If you're the best one in the group, you need a new set of friends. And I would roll my eyes. Billy would say, you are who you run with. Anybody ever heard that one before? I don't think that was unique to Billy. But whatever, Dad, you are who you run with. What if we're not running? What if we're driving? What if we're just walking? Y'all get it? But the one that I really just couldn't stand was this one. And I heard it on more than one occasion. Billy would say, you keep lying with the dog, son. You're going to wake up with the fleas. Who's heard that one? Mm. Now, he was, of course, translating Benjamin Franklin into Watsonese. Because Franklin is often credited with saying, he that lieth with dogs riseth up with fleas. And Billy Dean didn't say it as eloquently, but as eloquently, but that's what he meant. You know, for the longest, I thought he was insulting my friends. Why are you calling my friends dogs, Dad? But what he was really trying to get across was actually a biblical concept. 1 Corinthians 15 and 33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You see, Billy, for all of his faults, was a, he was a really good judge of character and he could be around one of my friends for two minutes and he would just know that kid's trouble you don't need to be around my boy you don't need to be around that guy he's trouble and he knew then y'all what I now know to be true after a little bit of living and experience whether you're a kid whether you're a tween whether you're a teenager, whether you're an adult, or whether you're middle-aged or older, you will become like your closest friends. Count on it. It's a fact. It's biblical. When we connect with a person, we become a conduit of their values, of their beliefs, of their decisions, of their convictions. We become a conduit of their priorities. And I'm not basing this idea just on Billyisms or just on my own experience. Let me show it to you in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says this. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. Now, if that's not authoritative enough or plain spoken enough for you, let me give it to you in the King James. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a can't companion of fools going to be okay. You're going to be just fine. You'll rise above it. Just keep hanging out with those people. It'll be all right. That's not what it says. A companion of fools will what? 
shall be destroyed. That's pretty strong. If you are close to people who are wise, you will become wiser. If you hang out with people who are godly, you'll more than likely grow closer to God. And if you become close friends with people who make good decisions, chances are you're going to make some pretty good decisions too. But the opposite is also dangerously true. If you hang out with the wrong crowd, you're going to find yourself doing stupid stuff right along with them. If you surround yourself with passive, unmotivated people, you're probably going to wind up doing less, not doing more. If your best friends pay God lip service on Sundays, but then ignore Him throughout the rest of the week, then chances are you're going to drift, drift away from God as well. Whenever I look back on my life, y'all, we'll, we'll see if this is unique just to me. But whenever I look back on my life, something very telling occurs to me. I realize that I rarely got into trouble by myself. Come on, somebody. Am I the only one? Yeah. Yeah. Almost every time Jason did something stupid or unwise, I was running around with people who were equally foolish. But on the other hand, Steve, I rarely succeeded on my own. In school, I always had the benefit of involved parents and caring and concerned teachers. Uh, in church, I had pastors and teachers who had strong convictions and loved me and cared about me. And I've had the blessing and benefit of people who spoke into my life some very valuable feedback. Whenever I'm closest to God, I am always simultaneously close to godly people at the same time. So I don't know who said it first, but it's still true. Y'all can probably finish this one. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. The people you're hanging out with today are shaping the person that you're going to become tomorrow. The people that you know and connect with will determine the story that you ultimately tell with your life. So, who are your friends? It shouldn't be that hard of a question to answer because according to a 2011 NBC News Health segment, the average American has more than 300 Facebook friends, but only two people they consider close friends. Two. And, and, <laughs> two friends is a third fewer friends than the average American said they had 25 years ago. That's according to a USA Today column from June of 2006. And even worse, according to the American Sociological Review, a quarter of Americans, 25%, that's like 80 million people living in America, say they have zero friends. Goose egg. None. Folks, what, what is happening to us? What is happening? We engage more and more digitally and online, yet we have less personal intimacy. I don't answer when the phone rings. Don't judge me. Y'all don't answer whenever the phone rings either. I know because I call you. 
Let them leave a voicemail, man, or let them send a text. That way we can stay in control of the conversation. And sure, we're connected 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but we feel lonelier than ever. And we suffer from something that sociologists have now deemed, they got a term for it, relational poverty. We have material poverty. Now we have relational poverty. It's a lack of intimate friendships. And here's the really scary part. So all that's really bad. Here to me is the really scary part of that whole scenario. The Bible shows us, guys, that God uses people to tell His story. He uses connections between people to challenge us and to grow us. God uses friendships to encourage people and to strengthen them. So the very thing that God uses to influence our stories is the very thing we're most lacking. So based on where some of us are today, the decision we may need most is not to start, stop, stay, or go. The decision we may need most today is the decision to connect. To connect. Because believe it or not, you could be one friend away from changing your destiny. One friend away from changing your direction. So here's big idea number one for today. Big idea number one. One friend can make a huge difference. Just one friend can make a huge difference. Let's look at Paul. As in the Apostle Paul, New Testament. You know, Paul wasn't always a Christian. Before he was Paul the Apostle and establishing churches and writing letters that would become two-thirds of the books of the New Testament. Before he was all that, he was Saul. Saul from a city called Tarsus. And he was an angry dogmatic religious legalist and he persecuted and killed Christians but then God got his attention in a very dramatic way and changed his life it's a cool story too long to go in today but you can check it out in Acts chapter 9 if you want to but Paul's transformation from what he was to who he became as a Christian was so radical that no Christians trusted him and it's for obvious reasons I mean can you imagine for a minute that you were part of an underground Christian church in Afghanistan. Imagine that. And then into one of your little underground church meetings, in walks Osama bin Laden. And Osama, now he can't do it now because he's dead, but in our little thought experiment, Osama gets the Holy Ghost in the altars of your little underground church meeting. How likely are you going to be to trust Osama? Brother Osama. How likely, this is the only, I know it sounds ludicrous, but this is the modern day equivalent to Saul of Tarsus becoming Paul. And people didn't trust it. They were like, I don't know about this guy. You know, this is like a Trojan horse kind of thing. He's, he's trying to, he's pretending like he converted so he can come in and he can catch all of us. They didn't trust it. Luke put it very simply in Acts chapter 9 verse 26. This is what he said. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. And I, I can't blame them. I mean, would you want the guy who had been imprisoning and stoning Christians to lead your small group? No. So Paul had this problem. 
Because he had been transformed by the grace and the love of Jesus. And he wanted to preach and tell everybody about the gospel. And he knew that God had called him to do this, called him to preach. But he didn't have one ounce of credibility with these people. So he's in a bind until he meets one guy. And his name was Barnabas. Paul connected with one guy. And it changed his destiny. It changed his direction. He couldn't get any traction before he met Barnabas. He couldn't get anybody to listen to him or trust him before he met Barnabas. Acts chapter 9, verses 27 through 28. Then Barnabas brought him, Paul, to the apostles and told them how Saul had had seen the Lord on his way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. And he also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. What happened? What happened? Something changed. All of a sudden, he went from not being with the disciples to going around with them in Jerusalem preaching. What happened? Somebody vouched for him. Barnabas staked his reputation on Paul's conversion, being a genuine... On it. So Barnabas vouched for Paul, and he vouched for his, his faith. And because of Barnabas, the other disciples gave Paul a chance. One friendship made this massive difference in his life. One friendship, it, it made a massive difference in the world. So here's the application. You might be one friendship away from changing your destiny if you will decide to reach out and connect with the right people. You might be one connection away from changing the world. You might be one connection away from changing your world. So as you consider what it might mean to risk connecting with people, and let's talk about what that means, because connecting with people can be risky, amen? I mean, because we are messed up. So as we as we contemplate what that really means to connect to reveal your heart to expose your real struggles to to open up and talk about what your real dreams and your real ambitions are you should also consider three types of friends that everyone needs to reach their god-given potential and i'm going to go through these and then we'll talk about them for the rest of our time today So three types of friends that everyone needs to reach their God-given potential. The first one is a friend to challenge you and to bring out your best. The second one is a friend to help you find strength in God and grow your faith. Don't freak out. I'm going to go back through them. And the third one is a friend to tell you the truth, especially whenever you don't want to hear it. Three types of friends that everyone needs in order to reach their God-given potential. So for the rest of our time today, what I want to do is I want us to look at the life of David and see how God uses David's connections, the people that he was connected to, to make him into the man that God really wanted him to be and to enable him to tell a really great story with his life. So here's big idea number two. 
Big idea number two, you need a friend to challenge you. You need a friend to challenge you. You need a friend that will motivate you to be the best you that you can be. Everyone needs a friend who makes them better, who makes them want to be better. And it only takes one read-through of Scripture to know that David was not perfect. I mean, he had his problems, he had his faults, but even with all of his mistakes and mess, he was still described in Acts chapter 13 as a man after God's own heart. You see, it was the right people at the right time that helped David become the right man. So let's start with Samuel. God had rejected King Saul as the king of Israel. And God told this prophet named Samuel to go identify and anoint the man who would be the next king to replace Saul. And so whenever Samuel visits the house of Jesse, God took him through each one of Jesse's sons. Nope, not that guy. Mm-mm, no, not him. Ooh, uh-uh, not him. Yeah, it looks good, but it's not him either. Nope, not him either. Mm-mm, not that guy. And when all of the obvious choices turn out to not be God's chosen, they finally call in the least likely one, the youngest, out tending sheep. He wasn't even invite, invited to the party. And God says, yep, that's the guy. That's the one I want. Nobody else would have picked David. Nobody in his family, even Samuel, had his eyes on other options at first. But God used Samuel to help David see that God's will for his life was much more significant than anybody else would have imagined, probably even than David knew. We have no indication from Scripture that David had his eyes on the throne and greatness. He was just being a faithful servant. Samuel made David better, much better, because he helped David see himself the way that God saw him. As a leader, as a king, as a warrior, as a poet, He wasn't just some kid who was really not good for anything other than tending sheep. Samuel told David, you're the one. God has chosen you. And God had this glorious plan for David, but it was Samuel who helped David to see it and realize it. So here's some practical application. Do you have a friend who makes you better? Do you have one of those in your life? Do you have a person or people who see your potential for something greater? Think about it. Do your buddies at work or at the gym make you better? Do the ladies in your reading group help you grow? Do the people you eat lunch with at work make you sharper? Do the moms you run with make you stronger? If not, connect with someone new, someone who makes you better. Years ago, I I met a guy named Royce, and he was uh, ahead of me in almost 
every respect. Uh, he was smarter. He was more gifted and spiritually talented, spiritually sensitive. He was farther along in ministry. He was better read than I was. Uh, he was more driven than I was. He was more charismatic, still is. But he sharpened me in ways that I still, even today, don't fully grasp and understand. And it was one friend, oddly enough, that st- one friendship that started after church, sitting on the platform, talking about, wait for it, Journey. Yes, I mean Journey, the, the 80s arena band Journey. We made a connection talking about Steve Perry and Journey. And it changed the course of my life. One friend. One friend, but way too many changes to count. Solomon said in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens another. So look, instead of hanging out with people who dull your skills or put down your dreams, start finding friends who make you sharper. If you connect with someone who makes you better today, then the story that you tell tomorrow is going to become even greater and more meaningful. You need to connect with someone, listen to me, who sees you. And I mean really sees you the way Samuel saw saw David. You need to connect with someone who sees you, the real person inside of you, the way that God sees you. Connect to a friend who will challenge you. Big idea number three, you need a friend to strengthen you. You need a friend to strengthen you. This second type of friend is uh, one that can help you find strength beyond yourself beyond yourself, whenever you're in the midst of of weakness and whenever you're in the midst of temptation. And God used a guy named Jonathan to help David find strength whenever he needed it most. So David was chosen to be king, but God didn't promote him immediately. He had to go through this ridiculous waiting period. And in fact, David's success as a warrior and as a servant made King Saul so jealous to the point that he tried to kill David. And in David's darkest moments, now I want you to think about this. I mean, the guy who holds all power in the land is trying to kill you. We we have no framework for that. But Saul is trying to kill David. And in his darkest moments, God sent David this very unlikely friend to help him find strength. And it was King Saul's own son named Jonathan. And Jonathan recognized the errors in his father's ways, and he stood by David. And here's how Samuel described it. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, it says, One day near Horish, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you as my father Saul is well aware. I love that passage. Look at how Jonathan served David in his time of need. One translation says it like this, that Jonathan helped David find strength in God. What a friend. 
You need a friend like that. You need a friend that can point you toward God whenever you're focused on all of your problems and the darkness around. You need a friend that can encourage you to seek God and His power. You need a friend that will love you toward grace and love you toward God. I've got a friend like that. I'm proud to say. Glad to say he's not here today, but I'm going to call his name. Nathan Henson. Dude, you have no idea how much you have meant to me. I mean, it's... uh, He's my Jonathan. I can't tell y'all how many times Nathan Henson has listened to me gripe, fuss, complain, feel sorry for myself. And he always points me back to Jesus in a way that is so uniquely Nathan. Because Nathan rarely gives me direct advice. But he listens really well and then he asks just great questions. And he prays for me. And sometimes when I'm struggling, and I don't want this to turn into too much of a bromance here, but sometimes whenever I'm struggling, Nathan Henson knows it and will send me a link to a song in Spotify that says exactly what I needed to hear or just makes me laugh and keeps me from being so serious about myself. So who helps you find strength in God? Do you have a connection like that? If not, you really need one. It's time for you to connect with someone who can help you find strength in those moments whenever you need it. It is not a sign of weakness to ask for help. It's a sign of wisdom to reach out to somebody whenever you're hurting. Connect to a friend who will help strengthen you. All right, big idea number four. You need a friend to tell you the truth. Especially when you don't want to hear it. You need a friend to tell you the whole truth. Yes. You need a friend to tell you God's truth. You need a friend to tell you the truth that brings about a reality check. Right? And you know what? The more successful you become the harder these types of friends are going to be for you to find. And the more successful you become, the more you need this type of friend in your life. King David found that out the hard way. So 2 Samuel 11 and 12 tell this story of whenever it's it's time during the season where kings usually go to war and David decided to stay home rather than go out to the battle. And he sees his neighbor's wife, Bathsheba, bathing. And uh, he's, he's, he's lustful after her. And, and his lust speaks louder than the wisdom that he has. So he sends someone. This is crazy to me. He's going to commit adultery with his neighbor's wife. And he sends somebody to go get her and bring her to him. Okay, do we need to explain? We're going to keep this PG rated. But bring her unto me. For what purpose, y'all? Okay, so here's the deal. This is what's so interesting to me. Nobody said anything to King David. Nobody said, uh, hello, she's married to one of your mighty 
men. Uh, they, they didn't even ask a Nathan Henson question. Uh, Jason, do you think that might, there might be a better way to do this? That's a Nathan question. Nobody said that to David. Whoever David sent had to know that Bathsheba was married to Uriah. But since this messenger, this is why you got to watch success, since this messenger was on the king's payroll and subject to the king's authority and subject to the king's influence, whoever it was just did exactly as they were told. I mean, he's a king. I mean, I'm not just going to lose my job, probably lose my head. If I say something to him, so short story, David sleeps with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. David tries to cover it up throughout all of this mess, and it doesn't work. So he has her husband killed and then marries Bathsheba to try to make it all right. It's a hot mess of a story. Now, here's the deal. There were plenty of people in David's court, plenty of people that were around him who knew the truth about what was going on, but nobody was willing to tell David anything. They just let him run with it. But God sent a man who cared enough about David to tell him the truth. He was a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan comes to David and tells him the the story about this great injustice done to this poor man by a rich man. And I'm summarizing a lot. We just don't have time today. But Nathan's story that he tells David, it makes, him, makes David so angry. And, and, and David just, he, he roars out, he says in 2 Samuel uh, 12 and 5, As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He's so angry. But Nathan isn't here to be obtuse or to be diplomatic. He's here to tell the truth. And so in 2 Samuel verses, uh, 12, verses 7 through 9, this is what he says. Then Nathan said to David, David's like, ah, whoever did this deserves to die. This is so wrong. Then uh, Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. Okay, David, let's go back through all the things that the Lord has done for you. I anointed you king. I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah And if that had not been enough, I would have given you more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible thing? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite and with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. And that was enough to get David's attention. It was a reality check. It was a jolt. Back into, back into perspective and truth. And it brought him to his knees and he repented. David had plenty of people around him willing to go along with his error. Well, he's king. I mean, he can do what he wants to do. Just That's adultery. But, well, that's murder. But he only had one person. One person. Willing to tell him the truth. And what a difference it made. So listen. Listen to Coop and listen to Craig Rochelle. The more successful you become, the more people are going to tell you what you want to hear. Not because they're evil and not because they want to see you fail, but because they are either intimidated by your position 
or because they need to maintain the status quo in their lives. And for that to happen, you have to stay where you are. Are y'all with me? So you've got to stay where you are socially. You've got to stay where you are financially in order for them to maintain their status quo. Folks, this is why we must connect with people who love us enough to be blatantly honest in the face of all of that. Love trumps it all. Proverbs 27, verses 5 through 6 says this, An open rebuke is better than hidden love, and wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. When was the last time a friend loved you enough to give you an open rebuke? Ooh. Has someone ever loved you enough to offer helpful correction? If not, you might be missing an important relationship that will help you grow. I'm blessed to have two. And no, it's not Julia, although she does offer me plenty of helpful correction. Sometimes a spouse isn't the best person for this. Just going to put that out there. But I've got two. One is more of a mentor, and his name is Glenn Murphy, and we're going to hear from him later. He loves me enough to offer me helpful correction whenever I need it. And sometimes I wrinkle, and sometimes I get a bad attitude, and I don't want to hear it, and you're just an old fuddy-duddy, and you're too traditional, and no, 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 no. But you know what? After a little while, Jason's emotions, the temperature comes down, and I realize, you know what? Murph was right. And the other guy's sitting right here. Brian Tier, thank you for all of the times that you have loved me enough to tell me the truth that I needed to hear. He doesn't do it all the time. But whenever he sees I need it, man, let's go have coffee. Why don't you come over? I appreciate that. I appreciate having a friend like that. Next, peeps, listen to me. Connect with someone who's willing to show you what you need to see so that you can become the person you're supposed to be. Connect with someone who will do that for you. All right, we're going to wrap this up real quick. So which kind of friend do you need most in your life right now? Which, which of these three do you need the most? Someone who helps you be better, someone who helps you draw closer to God, or someone who can tell you the truth about yourself? Which one of those three do you need the most? Write it down somewhere, because it's not real until you write it down. Write it down somewhere. Is there one person's name or one person's face that's just popping into your head right now? Someone that you could consider getting to know better and sharing your need for that connection? If so, reach out to that person. Make a connection. Maybe nobody's name or, you know, Jason, I really need this type of friend, but there's, there's not anybody that I can think of like that. Then ask God to provide for you the right person where you are right now. Here's a really good exercise. Take an inventory of your friendships. You know, some sociologists say that you eventually become the average of your five closest friends. Your values will look like their values. Your morals are going to look like their morals. 
your finances are going to look like their finances. Your spiritual passion will be similar to theirs or the lack thereof. You might be one connection away from a better marriage. You might be one friendship away from overcoming a lifelong addiction. You might be one heartfelt conversation away from being in better health. You might be one mentor away from exercising your gifts and becoming a better servant and a better leader and a better person. You might be one introduction away from climbing out of the doldrums that you've been in for the past several months. Listen to me. It is not too late to connect with someone who will change your destiny, who will change the direction of your story. Your decision to connect will change the story that you are able to tell one day. And if someone reaches out to you, here's the, here's the other side of this, and I don't have enough time to develop this idea, but if someone reaches out to you seeking that type of friendship, here's the challenge, risk the connection. You might be a Barnabas waiting on a Paul. And the thing that's going to change your life might be the person that you have to vouch for and stake your reputation on. You might be a Paul waiting on a Timothy. Or you might be a Jonathan who needs a David to move you to the next level. So maybe while you're looking for one of these three types of friends, the challenge for you is to also be one of these types of friends for somebody else. Because a person who wants friends should show themselves friendly. That's Bible. Next week, we're going to talk about trust. Let's pray real quick. Lord, we thank you for talking to us today. We need your word. We need to be a good friend. We need to be the types of friends that, are, that, are, that we talked about here today. We need these friends in our lives. Help us to find the right people at the right time that can see in us what you see and can help us to grow. In Jesus' name, amen.